we're just going to pause before we move into the last quarter of our presentation and just reflect a little bit on this one we're calling the follower, Peter. Um, we've set the whole show about 15 years ago. Um, but of course, the reality is the, the real Peter lived about 2,000 years ago. And uh, here we are doing a presentation about his life. I wonder if, uh, if someone's uh, made that much of a mark on history. Is there anything we can learn from this guy? Well, we do know where he used to live. Let's have a look at this, um, this slide here. So the flying saucer-shaped thing there is actually a, a church that's built right over the top of Peter's house where Peter used to live. And uh, the ruins that you can see is actually the synagogue there too as well, the local synagogue. So Peter had a big place. He had a kind of a big open courtyard and the house is built around that courtyard, two-story place. Um, and uh, you can see the blue there in the background. That's actually Lake Galilee. So the second story of his house, he actually had um, the view of the sea. His um, boats, he ran a fishing business, were actually moored down there at the sea, very convenient. And, uh, you know, Peter's, Peter's life actually in many ways seemed to be together. With a house that size, his fishing business was clearly doing well. We know from the record of his life he had hired men working for him. But nevertheless, despite having a lot of things together, when Jesus called him to follow him, he didn't hesitate. He left all of that behind to do something that he thought was more important. He found deeper meaning to life. Uh, now, we've got a few cards here that you pulled out earlier. Actually, hands up if you didn't get a welcome pack. There should have been every single person needed a welcome pack. You came as a couple. You only got one. You really need an extra one. Someone go and grab some extra welcome packs for people right now. Someone want to go do that? Quick, go grab them. Lisa's going to do it. Stick up your hand if you only got one because you really need two. Yeah, you need one per person, not one per couple or whatever. So raise a hand if you didn't get one because I think there would be a few who didn't. Just pop up your hand if you only got one. Daniel, I think you only got one. You, like you need one each, you and your girlfriend, for instance. <laughs> these, these two here, right there. Anyone else? You just got the one pack? Actually, even Lisa, actually, I think you probably only got one. Did you get two? No, you did get two. Very good. No worries. Nearly everyone did get two. All right, because I'm about to get you to fill some things in right now. So turn over the back of this card, and I'm gonna, we're going to learn a few things about Peter here. First of all, this one. Peter discovered purpose in Jesus' mission. You want to jot the word purpose in. Peter discovered purpose in Jesus' mission. Just jot that word purpose in there. Peter the follower. Now, um, we, we've, we've presented Mark, his disciple, as part of our presentation. And Mark's a guy who wrote a biography about Jesus' life, but it's through the eyes, really, of Peter. Here's something that uh, Mark records. Mark 1.16, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon Peter and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. So here, Peter at this point doesn't hesitate. Now, a careful reading of the, the scriptural record reveals that Peter seemed to have a relationship with Jesus before this, as recorded in John's gospel. But at that moment, this is kind of the big moment where he gets asked, will you be my follower? One of the, what was going to be just a small group, Peter didn't hesitate. Now, Peter doesn't write a biography about Jesus' life, kind of, but it, it's really there through the pen of Mark. But he does write a couple of teaching books, and uh, they're simply called First and Second Peter. And I'm just going to quote one of his 
things that he felt was an important thing he learnt. 2 Peter 2.19, he says this, For you are a slave to whatever controls you. You are a slave to whatever controls you. Peter went and taught a whole bunch of stuff all over the Roman world. This is one of his classic teachings. Now, what on earth do you mean by this? Well, perhaps I'll illustrate it by um, a guy called Andy. I was in uh, Britain for a while and um, met this guy, Andy, there. Andy had, um, had a life that uh, was an interesting one to hear the story about it. He um, was fostered by a couple, really nice parents they became. And uh, as a young adult, uh, he'd uh, done an apprenticeship in hairdressing and started his own barber shop. Business was doing well. Uh, had a partner, had a child, and life was pretty good. And he used to mix it with a few businessmen who weren't quite a bit of dough. And he would occasionally go to pretty high-end parties. One of these parties was that one night, um, the cocaine was being passed around and uh, Andy was offered some. The host was saying, mate, this is really good stuff. You know, don't miss out on this. And Andy says, oh, look, mate, I'm really not into drugs. You know, uh, anyway, I uh, said, come on, Andy, come on, live a little. This is a party, mate, come on. And so he snorted some cocaine that night. And that became kind of a monthly thing. At these big parties, he would do some cocaine. But then it moved beyond monthly to being every weekend and then went a little further and became often during the week as well. Well, his partner got fed up with it. She was sick of what had become pretty savage mood swings in his life and all the money he was spending on cocaine. She left him. Life started to crumble. Because of his drug habit, he couldn't hold down the business adequately anymore. It fell over. He hit rock bottom, and he ended up in an organisation uh, called Yeldor, which was a drug rehabilitation organisation, actually a Christian one, but sponsored by the government because they had such an impact on so many people's lives. Well, um, one of their things was because they were a Christian organisation, they felt spirituality made a difference in people's lives as well, so they used to encourage the guys doing the course, so live-in course, uh, to go along to a church service once a week. Ours was one of the churches, Whitcliffe, that uh, hosted them once a month. Well, we were doing an outreach, so Andy showed up with a bunch of the other guys, and uh, I was sharing my story that night because, um, you know, I'm not actually from a church background either. I was an atheist slash agnostic when I grew up as a teenager, young adult. But about 22 years of age, had a deep impact with the reality of Jesus, which changed my world, actually. I was playing in a heavy metal band at the time, and that's where my focus was largely. So as part of my story, I pulled out the Van Halen type of guitar and played a screaming guitar solo. Anyway, at the end of that message, I gave people an opportunity to say, hey, you can get to know this Jesus tonight if you want to. Several people came forward. Andy was one of them. He happened to be the person I went down and prayed for. Well, he would say in his story that cocaine had such a grip on him and he wasn't able to break that grip. But Jesus gave him the power to do that. You are a slave to whatever controls you, says Peter. It doesn't have to be something really obvious like drugs all sorts of things. I was looking at the statistics in regards to violence in Melbourne and uh, particularly during the COVID period that escalated in some households. Domestic violence where there would be angry outbursts and physical violence taking place and then the person who had done that felt so ashamed 
terrible about what they'd done, but then they would do it again and again. Out of control. You're a slave to whatever controls you. For other people, it can be something as straightforward as materialism. You know, um, you, you really need that very cool, funky pad down on the heart of the city with all the latest technology. Or, or, you, or you need the sports car. Or you need the large, luxurious house in the suburbs with the pool and the boat and all the trimmings. And nothing wrong with those things necessarily, but they can be the driving force in your life to the point where actually it's not a healthy thing. You're a slave to whatever controls you. It could be peer pressure in the high school, in the university, where if you wear the branded clothes or you have a certain type of haircut or if you're going to the right parties or you're speaking the right words or you're listening to the right music, whatever the trend might be. But if you're not doing that stuff, you know you're not going to fit in. You're a slave to whatever controls you. Jesus said he actually came to set people free from that. Recorded by his uh, disciple John. John 10.10, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life, says Jesus. Well, Peter had come to believe that. If you take out your cards a second time, jot this down. Number two, Peter gave up everything to follow Jesus. Would you jot the word follow in? Number two, Peter gave up everything to follow Jesus. Peter, the follower. And Jesus was very aware that his disciples had given up a lot, as was Peter. Here's Peter's words recorded again by his disciple Mark. Then Peter began to speak up, Mark 10, 28. We've given up everything to follow you, he said, Peter's words. Uh, Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and property along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. Jesus was honest about this. You know, he knew they'd given up a lot. He acknowledged that and said, you're going to be blessed because of that. You're going to receive many times, many things back because of that. But he also said, hey, it's going to be tough at times. There's going to be persecution at times. But then he adds, but you're also going to inherit eternal life. Now, what did you mean by that? Well, Mark, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Jesus' disciple John recorded these words when Jesus was praying. He said this, Jesus, probably with his hands raised, was the Jewish way to pray. This is eternal life, knowing you, the only true God. Well, John heard him say those words and recorded it. So Jesus clearly understood eternal life as just simply knowing God. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, yeah, well, Lee, mate, I've got nothing against Christianity or whatever, but there's no way I could give up anything based on blind faith, let alone all the stuff that Peter gave up. Forget it. And I would totally agree. Totally agree. I certainly couldn't give up anything based on blind faith either. But actually, Christian faith is not based around blind faith at all. It's based around facts and it's based around experience. And certainly I would never have become a Christian without either of those things being real in my life. But let me typify it uh, with Dr. Francis Collins. You saw a little moment of him in the Alpha promotion. He was the director of the Human Genome Project. It's mapping of human DNA. It's considered the most significant scientific undertaking of our time. This prodigious intellect 
did not believe in God. He was an atheist. But one of the things that he saw time and time again was there at somebody's deathbed, when someone had a terminal illness, where he had done everything he could for them, but he knew the fact is modern medicine could not save them. And he saw for some people, they were absolutely terrified, certainly not coping with facing death. But one of the things he noted with many of the people who had a strong faith in Jesus, they were at peace, completely at peace. And he noticed this. And one particular lady, he was trying to comfort her. She had cancer. She was just basically being kept comfortable. They couldn't do any more. They were just trying to tone down the pain. As he tried to comfort her, she said, oh, look, doctor, you don't have to comfort me. It's all right. I have faith in Jesus and I'm just looking forward to going to heaven. Quite frankly, I'm sick of the pain. Uh, I'm, I just want to go and be with the Lord. And then she has this quizzical look in her, in her eye as she turns to the doctor, Francis Collins, and says, doctor, what do you believe in? And he said at that moment, he felt extraordinarily challenged. He thought, you know, I've, I've been an atheist all my life, but I've realised that it's not based on research, it's not based on anything other than that's how I grew up. And he adds, that was extremely unscientific of me not to look into what is considered by many the biggest question that we're all faced with. Is God real? And so he, he felt confronted enough to actually take this challenge on. He had a friend too that was saying, why don't you research the historic Jesus so he did and he certainly knew how to research and so he dug into the ancient texts the historical stuff the the archaeological evidence and immediately he was amazed because he thought a lot of the stuff about Jesus was just purely fables and fiction and started to realize oh my goodness this is rooted in history and he applied something called textual criticism textual criticism at its simplest is where you look at ancient documents and the accuracy of what we know of that person's life is based on, well, how many texts do we have and how closely written were they to when they lived? So, for instance, what you and I know about the Roman Empire of about 2,000 years ago at that time, it's largely based on about 40 up to 50 documents that were written 900 to 1,300 years after those events. It's accepted by universities as being solid, good enough evidence to believe what we believe about the Roman Empire of that time. In comparison, when Francis Collins looked into the life of Jesus, he discovered something very different. The earliest text, little portion of, of uh, John's Gospel we have about Jesus' life, is only 30 years after Jesus lived. But then, over the next 350 years, there are whole biographies, many of them, many portions of biographies, but not 40 or 50 like there is about the Roman Empire. Approximately 27,000. The recording of the Alpha Course is 25,000. We're still finding more. Dated very early, very close to Jesus' life. Well, Collins was convinced. The evidence was overwhelming, he felt, that this Jesus that the Christians talk about is very much the historic Jesus. Well, the facts had con convinced him. What about the experience? Well, a friend of his invited him along to the Alpha course and said, why don't, you, why don't you do this course? So he did. Partway through the course, it was one evening where he was invited to 
say a prayer, asking Jesus to become a part of his world. He did. And at that point, he experienced the reality of Jesus. And through facts and experience, he came to believe this prodigious intellect. The Bible's very honest about its characters. And you saw Mark talk about Peter and how he denied even knowing Jesus three times when Jesus was about to be crucified. He was filled with fear. Would you jot this third point down? Number three. Peter denied that he ever knew Jesus but found forgiveness. Would you jot in the word forgiveness? Peter denied he ever knew Jesus but found forgiveness. Peter the follower. Yes, Peter came to believe something deeply supernatural about Jesus' life. And I'll just quote his own words. This is what he says. 1 Peter 2.24. He personally, speaking about Jesus, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds we are healed. Peter had come to believe that when Jesus died on the cross, a supernatural event took place. That as he hung there as some have put it, between heaven and earth, that cosmic event, beyond time, he bore the sins of all of humanity, past, present and future. Something that only could be done, of course, if he was divine. But that's what Peter had come to believe. And I'm amazed, actually, how many people do believe that Jesus Christ was divine. I was just watching a bunch of clips recently There are all lots of 10, but 30 different, very famous people talking about how they're absolutely convinced Jesus is the Son of God. I'm a bit of a U2 fan. I saw them actually at the Telstra Dome, have been ever since uh, they first came out. Bono is one of those people, the singer from U2. Let me read this whole quote here. He says about Jesus, He was crucified because he said he was the Son of God. So he either, in my view, was the Son of God or he was nuts. And I find it hard to accept that all those millions and millions of lives, half the earth from nearly 2,000 years, have felt their lives touched and inspired by some nutter. I don't believe it. I believe Jesus was the Son of God. I wonder if uh, you'd take out your cards for this fourth point. Peter came to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Would you jot that word believe in? Peter came to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Peter the follower. I'll quote Peter's own words about this. He says this, 1 Peter 1.3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. Let's find out what happens next. He stayed with us a while. He showed us his hands and his feet where the nails had gone through the skin. He ate with us and he talked with us. It was incredible. I never talked to him about how three times I denied him, about how three times I'd said I, I didn't know him. Then one day he turned to me and he said, Peter, do you love me? I said, yes, Lord, I love you. 
He said, feed my sheep. <laughs> well, we didn't have any sheep, so I knew he was talking about his followers. So I said, yes, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll feed them. Then he said, Peter, do you love me? And I said, yes, Lord, yes, I love you. He said, look after my lambs. Yeah, fine, fine, I'll look after them. Peter, do you love me? <laughs> yes, Lord. Yes, please stop asking me that. I love you, you know that, you know everything. Feed my sheep, he said. Then he said, when you were a young man, you would put your belt on and you would go wherever you wished. When you're an old man, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will put a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. And then he said, follow me. Follow me. Just like he said the first time I ever met him. I was forgiven. Three times I denied him. And then three times I told him I loved him. I was forgiven. Follow me. Just try and stop me. Peter says there in the clip, follow me, just try and stop me. Something radical happened in Peter's life, where as Jesus was about to be crucified, he was filled with fear, but something so significant happened that he never seemed to have that fear again. Most people believe it was because Jesus rose from the dead. Well, he spread that message all over the Roman world, often in threat of persecution or under pain of death and yet he kept on spreading that message when he was an old man he's brought into that huge arena in Rome some of you if you've been in a holiday to Italy no doubt you've been there and stood in that massive arena well there he was um, brought before Nero the Roman emperor Nero hated Christians he wanted to make a public spectacle of Peter the famous apostle Peter and Peter was brought out as an old man and he was uh mocked to an extent and he was challenged about this ridiculous belief in this false prophet messiah jesus and that if he denied his faith in this ridiculous jesus they'd let him go well he wouldn't deny his faith and so then nero felt it would be appropriate to have him peter crucified being as that's what he believed in in regards to his master jesus well, Peter protested. He said, oh, I, I can't die the same way Jesus died. I'm not worthy. So they crucified him upside down. Now, I mean, today, if you decide to become a follower of Jesus in Australia, you're not likely to be executed. 
Although there are some 50, 50 50 countries around the world that if you decide to become a Christian, you can be persecuted, imprisoned and indeed killed. Thousands still are. And yet their belief in Jesus is so strong they'd rather die than deny their faith. You know, the relationship with God thing started with a simple prayer for me. All began with a prayer. Prayer is just talking to God. I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer tonight if you wanted to explore that possibility, that relationship with God tonight. Simply pray these words. Let's bow our heads for a moment and respect to God. Simply pray something along these lines, quietly in your own heart. Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you lived an extraordinary life that's inspired millions of people. But I also believe you died a death on the cross. I don't fully understand it, but hearing what's been said tonight, you died for my sins, for my shortcomings, for my failings, that I can be forgiven because of that work on the cross and invite you to be a part of my life because of that work on the cross. I do that this night. I invite you, Jesus, to become a part of my world. Guide me, direct me in life. Amen. You know, a simple prayer like that can indeed start you in a relationship with God. It did me. Um, but if you prayed that prayer, why don't you let us know? Simply tick that box. Today I decided to follow Jesus. Today I decided to follow Jesus. Tick that box. Uh, and if, um, look, you're thinking, hey, look, I actually really do want to find out more. You might not be quite ready to tick that box, but you are actually willing to explore. What is this Jesus all about? Well, another option is the Alpha course. Over 30 million people around the world have done the Alpha, Church, Alpha, Alpha course. I've actually been to the church when I was in England that produces the course. Um, great course, really worth a look. And in fact, what you could do, if you're unsure about it, just come the first week. You've got a flyer in there that gives you the details it's on a Tuesday night, starting in a little over a week's time. Come along the first night, see what you think. We start with a meal, and then we watch some clips from Nicky Gumbel, and uh, he's a speaker, and also interviews with people. And then we have some discussion, each, each of those sections broken into about half an hour. It's a great course. But if you're interested in doing that course, why don't you let, me, let us know? Tick that box there that says, I'd like to attend the Alpha course.